Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. The folks at Green Mountain Dental Group, they deserve to take some credit for all those smiling Colorado sports fans around town, especially those of our DMDR listeners who've switched to Green Mountain Dental Group over the years to make them their permanent family dentist. And now when you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam, you're going to receive a free Sonicare toothbrush from Green Mountain Dental Group located only 15 minutes from downtown Denver. That's your first pitch. Now let's play ball. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by Strava Craft Coffee. Strava's CBD coffee is going to improve that quality of your morning because it's rich in CBD and CBG. And you can get it delivered to your doorstep every two, four, six, or eight weeks to help with chronic headaches, joint pains, IBS, so much more than that. Plus, you get zero coffee jitters if you happen to want three or four. Yeah, and sometimes five cups of coffee is what you need to get through the day. Nothing wrong with that. Now, you can get 25% off your first purchase when you use code DNVR25. I'm your host, Patrick Lyons. And on today's DNVR Rockies podcast, we have the second installment of the conversation with Justin Wick from Purple Row, where we go through some more newer rules that we think should be on the way for Major League Baseball. Go back and listen to last week's first parter where we went through the rules that you already know about as far as the California tiebreaker rule. We get into banning the shift and start discussing what it means to have an automated ball strike system, right? The robotic umps. But on this edition, we're going to start off where we left off and talk about this concept called the dynamic strike zone. think you're going to enjoy it. And even after we got finished, we recorded this over the course of two hours, we still only got to about a little more than half of what we were hoping to discuss. So there's definitely a lot more of this. Enjoyed the reception and feedback you guys gave us from the first part. So we'll definitely have to bring Justin back and talk about some more interesting wrinkles on the future of the game of baseball. Think about Shohei Otani and what he was able to do in 2021 and how that maybe opens a couple doors and has some front office people thinking a little bit differently and how could that possibly impact the future of baseball in the next 25 years so without further ado here is the second part of the conversation with justin wick from purple row getting into where major league baseball could be in 25 years time this is a good spot to pick up after discussing the automatic ball strike system something that ties in with other sports we've been referencing football basketball hockey this idea that how other sports have evolved and how other sports have kind of led the way in, in different forms for the other major sports to, to adopt and to use 
goal line technology and instant replay, things of that nature. This is something that was created by very intelligent sportsman, we'll call him that, Nick Elam. So Nick Elam created what's called the Elam ending. And I, I, I'll be honest, I, didn't, I hadn't heard of this until a recent episode of the Denver Sports Podcast. We were talking about controversial rules and different things going on in the game, of course. I was talking about baseball, but in basketball, there was something that was created and has only been adopted by a couple leagues here and there. We, I think we saw it recently in an NBA All-Star game. But the Elam ending in basketball ensures that every game ends on a basket. So you play a normal game with 12-minute quarters, and then the fourth quarter basically is only nine minutes long. Once you get to nine minutes, the nine-minute mark in the fourth quarter, you basically look at the scoreboard, and whichever team has more points, you add seven points to that total. And that becomes the target score. That becomes the number to beat. So if you're winning in a blowout, guess what? Now you're not sitting on the basketball. Now you're just trying to get those seven points to end the game. So even in a blowout, the game does end in a basket. And it, it leads to so many more final finishes. Now they're still driving. They're not trying to run out the clock and foul the other team. So it, it guarantees an ending. And this guy has had some great ideas in the last few years. In fact, in researching some off-the-wall ideas to make sure they hadn't been put out there already, there was an article written by Jeff Passan over three years ago where he talked with Nick Elam, and some of his ideas and suggestions have actually been adopted by Major League Baseball, like having the draft at the All-Star Game and a few other ideas. So his idea would need the automatic ball strike system to be in place. It would be something called the dynamic strike zone. He's a very intelligent guy. You've you've heard of this before, Justin? I've I've I have, believe it or not. Yeah. You you go ahead and do your thing. I want to hear your take on this though. It's very interesting. <laughs> the, the goal of it is to encourage action. It's to encourage hitters to swing at the ball earlier in the count. Because as the at bat goes on, the strike zone gets bigger with each pitch. Now it doesn't get it doesn't balloon to ridiculous proportions, but ultimately the goal is to say the best pitches you're gonna see are going to be early in the count because the pitcher is trying to throw it in this smaller strike zone. So there's less variability of where it could go. Now, with each strike, not a ball, but with each strike, the zone expands. So it basically penalizes the hitter for these longer at-bats, right? It, it discourages taking a walk because the deep counts benefit the pitcher and not the hitter as the zone will be biggest after seeing a lot of pitches. So not only are you getting... Know, guys swinging at pitches earlier in the count and maybe making I'm not going to say they're always going to make weaker contact but nevertheless they're going to be putting the ball in play sooner which also means we're not we're going to have less strikeouts and we're not going to have these typical 6 to 7 pitch at bats that we normally see in the game and keeps the game moving you have to keeps have the ABS system. yes you have to have that first but that's something that again now now when the, the system's down now, how is that a home plate umpire, you know, mentally shrink it and then enlarge in it? That's it could get crazy. <laughs> but if the technology were there, this is an amazing concept to again get back to the roots of baseball, which is hitting a round ball with a round bat and trying to do so squarely. You know, honestly, that's I love the concept. And I think for two primary reasons, the exact way that you bring this up, if we're just trying to force the game to be the game that it needs to be, I get this would be a very drastic change. And I mean, that would take 
I guess the fundamental roots of baseball would very much be essentially uprooted if you did something like this. But something that I'm excited about, especially recognizing this, is that, you know, we live in an era where arm health is such a sensitive topic. You know, we are tearing UCLs at a record at a record pace right now. And the amount of just time on the injured list from all of these pitchers in Major League Baseball, it's just ridiculous, honestly. And you're seeing more and more teams regulate pitch counts. You're seeing pitchers not work deep into games like they used to be. And yet, if you're forcing contact earlier in the at-bat, you know, not only are you moving the game along, but you're prioritizing you know, healthy arms. You don't need to throw as much. So I think for that main reason, that's a huge take that I'm a big fan of. Another take that I would be very excited about is you know, the ultimate goal, and I guess I'm simplifying this, and this might be my own personal silly take, the goal of a pitcher is to get to two strikes as fast as possible and then throw the nastiest pitch that you possibly have. And that's, I mean, honestly, that's that's the way that I roll with it. I mean, I, I'm not trying to simplify my own career, but let's just put it this way. If I'm up 0-2 and that catcher calls a slider, I'm going to have him set up way outside because I am going to rip down on those seams and I'm going to do everything that I want to do. I'm going to, I'm essentially going to throw this pitch away, but I'm going to be competitive with it because I have the opportunity. To, I'm not, I, he doesn't deserve a strike. I'm up 0-2. I'm going to be silly with it. I'm going to make this thing work. And if it does everything that I theoretically want it to do, I'm going to take the margin of error out of it. I'm going to set up outside, but I'm going to let this thing work. So people are going to go on to Rob Friedman's Twitter page, The Pitching Ninja. They're going to be looking at all these gifts of 0-2 counts that the zone has opened up. You know that it's opened up. You know as a hitter that because you didn't put it in play early on, you have to literally protect the plate at all costs. And I think this would make for a whole lot more enticing. It's going to very much reward pitchers for being nasty again. But at the same time, you have to earn it, first of all. So, you know, the current rate of how we know how limited the contact is, you still need to put the ball over the plate. You need to command the zone. You need to earn the right to throw some nasty pitches you're going to be able to do this and that again I think that's going to put more art into the craft of pitching again because you can't just be this nasty dude that throws the nastiest pitches but you don't know where it is you need to put yourself in a position where you earn the right to throw those nasty pitches and I think that's going to make for more comprehensive pitchers if it really did come together so again I don't know if this is going to actually come together when I first was thinking dynamic strike zone before I knew what Elam was talking about my thought was you know, on a 3-0 count, the strike zone gets bigger. That's just the way umpires call it without the ABS system. You know, if you put it outside, they're just going to kind of call it. That's just the way it is. You're not going to ring a guy up on a backwards K on a borderline pitch with two strikes type of like Point being, like, the strike zone is essentially a living organism as it is that umpires will shrink it and expand it as normal. And I think that's part of the proponent why people were kind of opposed to the automatic ball strike system because you're taking that out of the game. So recognizing this system i think the fact that you know yes it would kind of reverse engineer the way it's going to go but i think this actually preserves that integral part of the game recognizing that you know the zone is not just this fixed box all the time it does shrink it does expand and i would even go as far as saying this new system assuming you know again you would need the technology to do it but i would say it's even big it's even better than the traditional calls of what an umpire shrinks and expands and you know as a pitcher I really hope this actually does get put together because you're going to see some nasty pitches out there. Yeah, one of two things could happen with this that, well, only one of the two could actually happen. And one is something that we did see in independent baseball in 2019, something that although the players had the right and the ability to, according to the rules, to do, most of them didn't because of certain implications, and that was steal first base. 
and the idea being the pitcher throws one wild up into the stands. You know, I don't know how they legislate whether you had intent, right? Like, are you, are you, is your body, did you, your, did you fall out of the batter's box or were you feigning to run to first base and you saw the ball carom off the backstop and the catcher got it quickly? But nevertheless, you could steal first base. And obviously at the minor league level, they're developing certain skills. Same thing with independent baseball. And that skill is not needed at the major league level. You can't steal first. So it doesn't benefit you to do that. But you could have something like that. Or you could say, you know what? It doesn't get steal first. And it doesn't matter how far out of the strike zone that pitch was. If the guy swung at it, he's out. And not he's out unless he can get to first base by the time the catcher throws it to first. So, hey, if there's no drop third strike, that's another element that maybe it does take some of the craftsmanship out of catching, which, you know, is, is something beautiful when done right. But if you're already taking away pitch framing and things of that nature, at that point, do, do you need the drop third strike in there? Yes, you know, that's a, that's a fantastic point. I'm glad that you mentioned that because, you know, it shouldn't be the pitcher's fault that the catcher can't catch it. And, I mean, something that I do like about the drop third strike rule, you still get credit for the strike. You still get the strikeout as a pitcher. So even though the out wasn't recorded, you still get the K. But I think it's tough, you know, at the same time, you still have to throw extra pitches because your catcher couldn't do it. And I never really liked – I mean, I'm not trying to bash any catcher that I may have thrown to that this happened to, but I felt like, you know, there's a there's – a, yeah, name. no, no, man. What's his name? Much, man. I had really good <laughs> catchers. I'll be the first to say that. But, I mean, it's seeing it from an outside perspective. You know, let's say you're playing an opposing team. There's a drop third strike. Somebody drops in a nasty slider. It kicks away. Catcher couldn't handle it. Guy's safe at first. There's just such a weird competitive, like, the catcher is trying to, like, be sympathetic to the pitcher, saying, my bad. And then they're supposed to be the cohesive team. And I just felt like that always really disrupted the level of play that, you know, it was all of a sudden you're the pitcher out there and you're disagreeing with the guy that's calling your pitches. And there's just an unnecessary rift that I never felt was necessarily fair. And it's just, I, I didn't feel like that had a good position in the game just because, you know, that's not, you're all of a sudden creating an issue between the person that you're supposed to be on the same page with. So at the same time, I think the drop third strike rule, and like you mentioned, you know, the stealing first concept, I think that's really going to take the keys out of a pitcher's a pitcher's arsenal. Let's say you've got a breaking ball that dives in the dirt. It's got some nasty stuff and you need a catcher to handle it. You're not going to throw it as much because you realize what the risk is. And if the stealing first concept does exist, you're not even going to get a strikeout for it. So I think there's a lot of layers in that. I think that, you know, ultimately it's going to make, it's probably going to be very much in the favor of the hitter because you're not going to see as much nasty breaking pitches as you otherwise would. So if we're trying to look at that as far as putting the ball in play, I think, you know, the cause and the effect that could go into this. And that's with a lot of these rule changes, kind of the umbrella prophecy of maybe we're not trying to change this rule to change the game. We're trying to see how it's going to correlate to something else that's going to end up resulting in this. So I think that whole drop third for the stealing first concept is going to allow for more balls in play because you're not going to see as many nasty breaking balls. So Aside from this, you know, the drop third strike, you owned a hitter. You just proved that you dominated them. Everything's good to go. And for some reason, we need closure because the catcher didn't catch it. I mean, I've thought before, you know, let's say there's a World Series. It's the bottom of the ninth with two strikes. Somebody's out there tossing it, breaking ball in the dirt, swinging a miss, kicks away. Well, you struck him out. And can you award the commissioner's trophy 
on that alone, like the catcher's going to run out to the pitcher's mound and celebrate. Like, I feel like, yes, it kind of theoretically makes sense that you need a closure and you need to be able to say this was an out, but you know, it's Patrick, I, I, you deserve more analysis than this. It's just, he's, he's out. He swung and he missed. He, he's no, it's just the way it is. I have nothing more comprehensive than just saying, what is this about? So I feel like my journalism background, I owe people an explanation. But no, he struck out. It's a strikeout, man. But it, it's a legitimate thing to hypothesize going forward if, again, we are taking away the catcher's job to be yes, a catcher. That's a that great point. It, it continue to go down this path. All right, I've got, I've got six things here. I've kind of just sorted as miscellaneous. We'll get into some of the – gameplays we'll get into some of the mlb angles that we could see changing not just rules but in mlb itself as well as hall of fame changes so here are a couple quick little miscellaneous things let me know what you think some are going to happen a lot sooner than others but we're trying to predict baseball in 25 years here advertising on uniforms and helmets they're pretty much discussing that right now i think that's a foregone conclusion we're going to be seeing that a lot sooner yeah, than 25 years from now. As averse as I am to it, you know, the, the owners are going to need to get something. The players are going to need to get something. That's just, I think, a classic settlement that, all right, fine. This is the way it's going to be. Um, I, I hope it's not bad. Like, I, I really keep it limited to the shoulder or something. Just just try to, try to not make it. I, I think I speak on behalf of every baseball fan out there. I don't think anybody wants ads plastered on something. But I get it. It's probably going to come to be a version of all of us, but I just hope it's not too obtrusive. I think I've heard somewhere in the ballpark of six to $8 million of additional revenue. It'll bring in for each team on something like that. Umpire statistics will become readily available on Statcast. I like that. That's I cool. Yeah. That. Hold them accountable. Yeah, absolutely. We've got plenty of data right now with up scorecards and up yes. auditor and they, they do an amazing job, but it would be nice for MLB in some capacity to adopt that and to accept that and to publish it and to hold the umpires a little bit more accountable. I think, I think every umpire, and this, this might sound like a hot take, every umpire out there wants to be the best umpire. Like yes. They want to make every call correct. They also probably don't mind being an a-hole, but their ultimate goal is to be correct. Now, if their best just isn't cutting it, well, then you know, they need to move on and make room. It happens with ball players, right? Some, some yes. of them sooner than others. And hey, I played until I was 29. I played only in parts of three seasons. That was my career, and I was done. I had a, had a short run. But for umpires, they've they get the, the opportunity to do it for several decades once they're in the majors. In the minors, not so true. I umpired with a guy who I think at around you know age 31, 32 after AAA, he was now the old guy in AAA. For an umpire and there wasn't a spot opening up it was just a coincidence and so you know writing was on the wall his career was done because you know, he didn't move up maybe quickly enough as, as some of his peers so i think that could be something that's on its way that everybody wants i mean the umpires probably don't want it but i think that's <laughs> something that we could see change as time goes by Yes, I think that's actually a great idea. And at the same time, you know, you create like a competitive dynamic of everybody wants to be the best. And at the same time, I think if you make that readily available for fans to look at, you know, your interpretation on umpires isn't going to be negative anymore. Like you're going to be able to look at a guy and say he's doing a tremendous job back there and it's going to turn into like it's a badge of honor to be one of the more revered umpires. 
And it's not just going to be, you know, Joe West and Angel Hernandez because they've been around forever. No, it's going to be, you know, this guy because you're able to go ahead and look at everything that he's able to do and who's got the best possible body of work. So I think that's a lot of upside. I think it's going to very much change the negative umpire connotation that, you know, you never hear about an umpire when they do a great job just because they're supposed to do a great job. And, you know, it's a hard gig. It's extremely difficult. So. I mean, again, very much in favor of that. I think that there should be a road, like a rotating cycle, just like you mentioned. You know, if you're the top of the line guy in AAA, you shouldn't not have a job just because somebody gets a golden ticket as soon as they come into the big leagues type of thing. It happens with ball players, and that's the way it is. And you know, if you're not doing your job, you get cycled through. Like, I mean, that's just the nature of the way the workplace works. You should be doing a good job. But I think the first tool to put that together, you know, put that on Statcast. I think people would actually enjoy looking at that. And, you know, at the same time, put All-Star Game and put, like, World Series implications onto it as well, saying we want the best possible ones. And let's say, you know, the honor of working the World Series is reserved for the top, let's say the top six, because they'll take a six-man crew. I think that way, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it. And all of a sudden, you're going to really start rewarding these guys for just being craftsmen at what they do. And I think that's the way it should be. Got to say thanks one more time to everyone who came out on Saturday for the Goaties. If you weren't there and you do want to catch it, it is live now over on YouTube after premiering on Monday night. That was absolutely fantastic. And you know what? Hey, the Goaties may be over, but we still got plenty of watch parties down on the corner of Colfax, New York at the DNVR bar on Tuesday. Official Avs watch party at 7 p.m. on Wednesday. Nuggets at 8 CU Buffs at 8 p.m. on Thursday. Friday, Nuggets are back in action at 7 p.m. On Saturday, Buffs again at 4 o'clock. Of course, we'll have the All-Star game on for the NHL at 1 o'clock. Sunday's Pro Bowl at 1, but 1.30 is the big watch party for the Nuggets coming up this week at the DNVR bar where, members, you know, you get a bigger beer when you're down at the bar. You get discounts. You're entered into raffles if you are there for any of our watch parties it's now only 50 cents for your first month at the dnvr.com and annual memberships, of course, do get you a free shirt with that annual membership. And when you do come down to the DNVR bar, you know that the Breckenridge Brewery is going to be flowing, whether it's the Avalanche Ale, Vanilla Porter Jr., or one of the cans of their good company, Hard Seltzer, now available on the corner of Colfax in New York at the DNVR bar. Remember, Breck is donating profits to the National Parks Conservation Association this year to help with prevention of forest fire. So you are always in good company with Good Company Hard Seltzer by Breckenridge Brewery. Pick up a 15-can sampler wherever you pick up your groceries and liqueurs. Holidays are over, and you may want to turn over a new leaf, but guess what? You're probably still a little bit beat up and tired as we enter into the month of February. But guess what? Lightshade, Colorado Premier's dispensary, has got the solution for you, and it's Wana. No matter when you take them, Wana Optimal's Fast Sleep Gummies it's going to make you feel rested. It's going to make you feel refreshed in the morning. And you know what? That's not always the case with the over-the-counter stuff that knocks you out with powerful drugs that can probably, you know, leave you in a fog and you don't want that. But with Juana's carefully calibrated formula with their 10 milligrams of CBD and a hint of THC, it's going to have your eyelids feeling heavy in just 5 to 15 minutes. And in zero minutes, you can order Juana Optimal's Fast Asleep Gummies at lightshade.com and Get 25% off with code DNVR. Use code DNVR at any of Lightshade's soon-to-be 11 Denver Metro locations for a nice little discount on the house thanks to DNVR. It would be great to have 
little more transparency to know what is going on behind the scenes with umpires. Here's here's something I don't think I've shared this on the podcast before. And I'm not sure if this is public information, but according to source several years ago, when they did the London series, right? They played the games out there. There were advertisements on on the helmets. That I think uh, there there were a couple additional ones that were there that you know you, you understood what was going on there. It, it, so it looked a little bit different also, too, because of where they were playing the game. It looked different. But the way they went about getting those umpires wasn't a, a merit system. It was actually a bid system. And so basically uh, you get paid a certain dollar amount for you know, each, each game that you work. And so whoever was you know, quoted MLB and, and, and the umpires union with the lowest number got to work it. So it, it would be like, again, if, if it's a contract, right? Like if you're building building something, you're going to contact 10 different companies and say, all right, how much is it going to cost to, to build this structure? And whoever has the lowest quote typically is might be who you go with. And so that's how it works. So they're, you know, I don't know if, if all of the umpires in that game said, I'll, I'll work it for free, but maybe they wanted that on their resume to go over there to umpire, you know, the first game in Europe. But that was how they sorted. It wasn't, hey, we're going to pick our buddies have a great time over in England it was based on according to my source basically the, the lowest bids and that's it put in an envelope juicy. slide it across the man. table and that was that Patrick you were opening cans of worms out here man that is I impressive I mean I, like honestly that's boy I mean I don't necessarily I mean if you did come in with the lowest bid I don't necessarily think that's going to impact your ability to do your job like I think that's part of you know I'm willing to do this because I'm willing to climb the ladder like you say that's a big resume builder type of thing um great trip at the same time well, yes exactly and at what point do you I hate to phrase it like this but you start getting too big for your britches in a sense as far as I've worked this many world series I can start letting my guard down a little bit as opposed to, you know, let's say you did have the bidding system and it's the way the World Series is going to be. You're a big league regulated umpire. You've already been verified. So we know you're a quality person. Um, that flips you know, it on I its head. You're right. That actually that's would, interesting. They did something yeah. like that where you say it's not the, you know, the, maybe some of the oldest guys. It's, you know, it would would have to be merit. Uh, and that's where the transparency comes in and say, well, no, look, this guy has, has the best numbers and does an amazing job. And you know, has only had X amount of ejections, whatever it is, he, he deserves it, or at least put him in the pool of people that could, could bid on it. I mean, at, at that point, you know, we're fine with, with paying the umpires, but it should be more of a merit-based <laughs> system rather than, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have six umpires come out to, to London. We're all just going to hang out. We're going to do two games while we're over there. It's, it's good to know that that didn't actually happen. Yes, exactly. And the fact that you're not necessarily resting on your laurels either, it's pretty cool to recognize that there's at least a competitive degree that goes into it. I mean, for that reason, I'm glad you bring that up. I didn't even know about the umpire things potentially going on StatCast. And that's a, that's a, I mean, big tip of the cap to you for coming up with some serious ideas here, by the way. That would be fun. All right, well, this one I'm, I'm stealing from an article from three years ago from Jeff Passan that was mentioned. Changing the All-Star Game format. Now, I, I would not like to see this happen at all. And I, I don't think it would necessarily benefit the game. I was never a big fan when the NBA started doing that. And they st you know, started treating it like fantasy basketball. And I, I think the NFL's done things like that. I don't, I don't necessarily know what benefit there is to that. I think you could get some interesting matchups where two teammates are on opposite sides of the field. Yes, absolutely, that's interesting. But again, 
you, you have to be really paying attention to that. Whereas I don't have to, you know, have my thinking cap on for the new rules in a new format for the all-star game to know, oh, when Marquez could be going against Shohei Otani. Okay. This, now I'm excited. You don't have to think about it. You just know American league nationally, like who's facing off against each other. But if you did have some kind of different format, like the youngest players that are all-stars versus the oldest players and resort them that way, that, that I would be all for seeing someone like, you know, (laughs) or Albert Pujols doing some kind of like, you know, he flies out to left field, but he does, you know, he hops out of the box like Sammy Sosa, or he's, (laughs) he's mocking Juan Soto and doing stuff like that. That's where it would get fun, right? Because it's saying your style against my style. I think that could have some interesting legs. Well, and I think especially in the game of baseball in particular, you know, we have a lot more people, especially in the younger demographics that are a little bit more expressive than the older type of, I mean, this, I don't mean to sound like I'm a get off my lawn type of baseball fan. I mean, to each their own type of thing, but I think that would really present a unique dynamic just because you have a lot of people that are stepping in that are trying to play the game essentially the way they understand that it's going to be played type of thing. I think a big reason I'm a big fan of the world baseball classic is because you recognize all of these different cultures coming together and, you know, you got the Puerto Rican team coming together and having an absolute blast of a time. That's probably the most fun dugout that you will ever see type of thing. But again, it's the Dominican Republic is the same way. Venezuela is the same way. Mexico is the United States in the same regard. And, you know, not to, I know there's a lot more countries than that. So, I mean, anybody in that there's a sense of pride that really goes into it, but at the same time, you're celebrating what makes you guys a collective group. And that's ultimately the best kind of team that you're going to be looking for. And the traditional all-star game style, you know, if you're tra- if the whole premise of being in a dugout is to celebrate being on a team, well, you're celebrating with the guys that you compete against type of thing, like the guys that you compete the most against, which, again, that's part of the luxury of the all-star game. That's why it makes it different. That's why it makes it fun in its own right type of thing. But I think at the same time, you're going to see – I think from a watchability standpoint, you're going to see if it was the old versus the new type of thing, you're going to see it's not I don't think it would be clashing, but I think it would be celebrating people for the people that they actually are. And ultimately, if you give people the freedom to be themselves and the freedom to actually recognize that you're allowed to have fun on a baseball field type of thing. And that's not to say everything has to be the fun new way of you got to be flashy. You got to have these kind of cleats and belts. No, I mean, you can have a fun way by being the Clayton Kershaw's of the world that are very serious, very meticulous, very methodical about what you do. And there's nothing wrong with it, but I think to be able to celebrate what makes us different, I mean, that's ultimately a big reason why this game is as special as it is. And I think that the all-star game is a great, I mean, as anybody in Colorado can clearly see, it's a great opportunity to just celebrate this game and all the good that comes out of it. And, you know, I'm all for whatever they want to divide the rosters for in order to make it the biggest celebration possible. I was very much pure as far as I like the AL and the NL. I'm not suggesting they should change it either. But after seeing the All-Star Week the way it was, just make it the best weekend possible. Like, I mean, that's what it did. That's what it's there for. That's why it exists. It's an it's a three-day party that everybody deserves to go to if you're a baseball fan. And, you know, you can't do wrong. Let's put it this way. No matter how you're going to divide those rosters out, it's still going to be a blast as well. And I, I don't think there's any bad option that can come out of it. We love saving you money and we love companies doing their part to help try to save the world. And guess what? The folks over at Ball, they're doing their best at the manufacturing plant in Golden. And right now, they're actually hiring for production technicians. You can read the full description and apply at jobs.ball.com by searching for Golden. You can also text Golden 
to 77222 and you'll get linked to their open positions. And right now they're offering a competitive $27.39 per hour rate. Can't beat that. You also get opportunities for increases every six months, comprehensive insurance, active the day of higher stock purchase ownership program and 401k for retirement. Start thinking about your future. Start planning ahead and working for a great company like Ball. Again, jobs.ball.com and search for Golden or simply text Golden to 77222. Then you can take that hard-earned paycheck and start getting some stability for yourself by buying a home with the expertise and support of Chevalier Mortgage. Now, Chevalier Mortgage's ultimate goal is to take the stress out of buying and refinancing. They've been doing that for my parents here as they make the transition and moving to Colorado. And what Chevalier Mortgage has been doing that I've been loving is that they're giving my folks and all of their customers and clients the full financial picture with the highest level of integrity, always putting their borrowers first. They make the bubble work for you if you're happen to be already be a homeowner and you're looking to sell, guess what? You can refinance out of that, get yourself a new home. And the cool thing is right now, they've got a fun perk for everybody listening right now. Just visit them at dnvrmortgage.com and you can enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat of your choice when you do. Most importantly, get set up with that free consultation to discuss all of your options. Even if you're out of state and you're considering moving to Colorado, dnvrmortgage.com is going to help you out with that. Call Virginia directly at 303-257-6578 or simply visit www.dnvrmortgage.com. Michael Chevalier, NMLS number 1931006. Virginia Chevalier, NMLS number 1910631. Let me know what you think about these things. I know you're definitely in favor of them. Chance it could happen again in 25 years time. We should by then have our first openly gay player. That should be sure. something we're living in a, in a better world that, that people can be feel comfortable to to be out there and i think we could even see the first female professional ball player under the mlb and, and milb umbrella because you know people like justine siegel who uh, runs baseball for all is trying to get young girls to play baseball not hey all right cool you had fun maybe doing little league you know up until you're 12 and now go play softball well you can still play baseball. And so we've yet to really embark on that experiment. Like, well, what if young women for gener a generation, right? Right at, at that point in 25 years time, all right, there could be a 20, 21 year old young lady who hasn't even been born yet that went to a division one school and, and played. And, and, and I, I don't know it, it, if it's could be longer than that. It, it's hard to say, but I would certainly welcome that or maybe even more likely, and this would be an interesting debate, more likely to see a female as a manager than I think that would be awesome. That player. would be yeah. incredible. Yeah. Twenty five years time, that seems a reasonable length to say, yeah, the, those things can can happen and hopefully sooner than that. Yes. And you know, you bring that up, that's a great point, especially to recognize, you know, somebody that was a pioneer like Jackie Robinson and to see how celebrated he is. You know, I dream of the day, I mean, certainly dreaming of the day where everybody is accepted, but also dreaming of the day where everybody is revered and celebrated to the exact same degree that Jackie Robinson is. And, you know, I wish that baseball were able to implement that. I realize that, you know, we've seen it in the NFL now. We've seen it in some other sports where you have, you know, openly gay players that are telling everybody this is the way they live their life. And, you know, it's it's a very cool moment. And I almost feel bad that baseball is kind of behind the curve. I guess that's 
I don't mean to say that as a derogatory sense, but, you know, I wish that there was somebody in baseball that was really setting the tone for other people to follow. And it's in a very similar respect to, I mean, the great pioneers of this game. So, you know, I'm optimistic to see that, you know, we are headed in the right direction and to see how progressive we are as a society to really recognize this. But at the same time, you know, recognizing just the innate toxic masculinity that exists within the game of baseball. I think this is a very big issue and it's really too bad because, you know, when you get a group of guys together that, you know, there are a bunch of hard nosed people that play baseball for a living or even call it in a collegiate setting, you know, it's very difficult to be the outcast and it's very hard to essentially be yourself when, you know, the most identifiable people in a dugout are often the most vocal ones. And the most vocal ones aren't necessarily going to be comfortable being their true self because, you know, if they are their true self, it's going to be harder to maybe speak out a little bit. And you know, I think that's very difficult. That's a big challenge within this game. And that's something, you know, I feel like I've certainly noticed firsthand, not that I want to victimize anybody or myself or anybody else in that kind of sense. But I think that's kind of the big rift because you really force people to just be part of a group mindlessly and just kind of to believe what they think that they're supposed to believe. And it's very hard to act out in this game. I hate to say act out like it's a negative thing. I mean, I'm speaking of acting out in a positive way of uplifting people. And so, you know, you mentioned the female manager. I think that would be absolutely incredible because you're no longer thinking about maybe, you know, I want to be part of the guys. I want to be a good teammate the way that, you know, a male dominated sport is supposed to be. You have a completely different dynamic of, there's a female lead and maybe I need to think I need to be a good upstanding person as opposed to a toxic male just so I can fit in. And I think that honestly is probably one of the biggest things that plagues this game of baseball because you see a lot of people start accepting things that they maybe shouldn't be accepting as far as, you know, making fun of people for who they are just because you want to be part of the guys type of thing. I think that, you know, a female dynamic in the mix like that can do just absolutely wonders. And to tell you the truth, I think that would be a huge competitive advantage. And, you know, I think that's probably going to come sooner than people expect. I think that would be, I think that would be incredible. And especially talking about, you know, the upstanding values that this game should be created on for the same kind of principles, as far as the good that Jackie Robinson brought into this game and recognizing that this game truly is for everybody. I feel like it's going to take somebody to really pioneer it again, especially from a female perspective or from a sexuality perspective, whatever it may be. But I like the fact that, you know, we're working towards becoming better people as a whole and realizing that this opportunity does exist to make this game of baseball better and more inclusive as a whole. I think we're headed in the right direction. I think that it's still going to take a little while for it to be exactly where it needs to be. But I do believe that we have the pieces together and, you know, I'll be the first one to say I would absolutely love to play for a female manager. And I think that would be probably one of the most impactful things in this game. And as far as my own playing career, I think that would do wonders for a lot of people. We've seen it in the NFL a little bit. Uh, Peggy Hammond, I think, interviewed for a couple positions in the NBA, one of the assistant coaches under Greg Popovich for the San Antonio Spurs. So, yeah, this is definite change that, that's on its way, and baseball's got a more inclusive trajectory going forward in a, in a positive sense. Well, you mentioned Jackie Robinson. One of the things for the big MLB changes I have proposed for the next 25 years is breaking news. We'll, we'll, we'll treat this as if it is 2046 here. The number <laughs> 21. The number 21 has been retired amongst all 30 teams for Roberto 
Clemente. We already celebrate Roberto Clemente Day on September 15th, which is something similar that uh, to Jackie Robinson. But right now, only players and coaches of Latin American descent are permitted to wear 21 along with nominees for the Roberto Clemente Award for the Rockies. That was Ian Desmond once again for the hard work, uh, rightfully so, that he's put in to his, his local Little League in, in Newtown, uh, down in Sarasota, Florida. But Roberto Clemente Award is an honor that's it's given to a ball player who you know exemplifies the game of baseball, the sportsmanship, the community involvement, all of these things that Roberto Clemente did as one of the first Latin American ball players in Major League Baseball. You know, and, and even in his death, he showed that kind of compassion and commitment to community as we're in fact we're coming up on the anniversary uh, i think it i think it would be the 50th anniversary that's right uh, on new year's eve in 1972 when he was killed in a plane crash delivering some supplies and, and goods to nicaragua after an earthquake had totally ravaged that country uh, again part of the rockies family hartford yard goods they've actually retired the number 21 there because of, of the connection with the Clemente family. And this is something that's, it's been whispered for a while. So some of you may have already heard about this movement at this point, but I think in 25 years, it would be very fitting for baseball to also retire the number 21. Yes. You know, I, I'm glad you bring that up. And I always think it's interesting whenever I have this discussion or not that I, I don't mean to sound like I'm backing people into a corner, but I'll ask him, you know, do you think it should be? And then if the answer is ever no, I always kind of pry for answers, and then I realize how shallow of an inter. Like, when people say it shouldn't be, it's like, well, we need to like let people. Wait. At what point are you going to water it down too much? Is maybe what somebody's going to say? You know, what numbers if you don't are stop left? It, yeah, yeah, like it, maybe that's really, something that somebody's going to say. Right. But like, <laughs> like why is it a big deal? Like honestly, I mean, if you want to retire seventeen different numbers, you know, we're doing this to honor and respect the game, and the whole premise is. You know, your identity has become bigger than the number. And Jackie Robinson's identity is bigger than anybody ever wearing 42 again, which is ultimately the reason that they did retire his number. So, you know, one thing that I do think would be pretty cool as far as as a, as a big give back to the game. You mentioned, you know, the Roberto Clemente Award finalists and being able to have, you know, to be the upstanding person to be able to wear number 21, let's say all of the community accolades or what you're doing to help the people around you. And if then, you know, you're eligible for this award, let's say you are the award winner, I think it would be very cool if the Roberto Clemente award winner the following year had the option to wear 21. So let's say it was retired across baseball. I think it would be an awesome way to really give. And I think at the same time, maybe open up the Jackie Robinson 42 to certain recipients just like that. So let's say there's somebody that's been doing tremendous work, helping grow the game, helping support, you know, the equality of this game. And at the same time, you know, recognizing that the ultimate reason, you know, everybody deserves this equality, everybody deserves this recognition. And I feel like, you know, every time we have Jackie Robinson Day, we see the number 42 and it's a constant reminder. And I think about, you know, the home run derby, we saw number 44 for Hank Aaron, and it was a continual reminder of the impact that this guy did. I think if you opened it up, I'm not saying open it to where people can freely wear it because it should be commemorated. But if you allowed, let's say it is the Roberto Clemente Award winner, if you want to wear 21 next year, go for it. That's, again, a continual reminder of all the good that Roberto Clemente did. And I think that 
you know, the purity, maybe it isn't so much a retired number anymore, but it's even bigger than that. And I think that there's a way to really put it on a pedestal. Certainly if it's retired across baseball, it's already going to be a very huge deal, but I'm optimistic that we can even do more. And I think that the, the question isn't so much, should it be retired? It's how can we do even better than just simply retiring it? And I think that there's a lot of opportunity there. And for anyone worried that, oh, no, that means Kyle Freeland has to change his number and it's not fair to him. <laughs> Again, we're talking about the fairness of millions upon millions of people versus one in Kyle Freeland. But Kyle Freeland would be able to keep his number. In fact, that's what happened in 97 when Major League Baseball retired 42. They said, okay, these players are grandfathered in. Mo Vaughn was wearing 42 at the time. Of course, Mariano Rivera continued to wear it. I think there was one more guy. I can't remember off the top of my head. Maybe it was Armando Benitez. I'm pretty sure there was a third player that was still able to wear because just coincidentally, there was we're the only three. 42, you know, is not necessarily a, a sexy number per se when you're thinking about <laughs> baseball players, right? So they were able to continue to wear it. So Kyle Freeland, uh, should he still be playing when this decision is made? So be it. Also, in 25 years, we could see, Justin, 34, not 32, 34 teams in Major League Baseball. We know 32 is going to be on the way. Right now, the number being speculated would be $2.2 billion, with a B, $2.2 billion for an expansion fee. And... Yeah, let me just slide my card under the rug right there for that one. There we go. Hey, not every owner <laughs> can afford that. Uh, not every owner has a net uh, worth of over two point two billion dollars. So yeah, you're, you're you may need to use your credit card. But we know thirty two is on its way. Of course, you know Oakland situation, Tampa situation needs to sort itself out. But let's assume that they just stay where they're at. There's still you know six cities, reasonably speaking, that baseball could go to as you know the, the next two to four teams first it would be two and then it could be closer to the 25 year mark that we then go from 32 to 34 we know vancouver portland las vegas nashville charlotte montreal are all in the mix right there in 25 years again who knows what happens with certain markets san antonio austin you know is is exploding and you know it is somewhat equidistant to, to texas and in Houston, so may or may not be a good fit. You could see a third team in the New York City area. We don't have that yet. That, that has not been done, but that's a potential. Maybe even a second team in Las Vegas. I know there's there none go. there right now. Now we're talking. But, again, <laughs> who knows what happens. We know 32 is on its way. I would tend to think in the next 10 years, I bet serious money on DraftKings Sportsbook for that. But in 25 years, maybe we could have 34. The NHL is thinking about it. They, they might be on their way. I think MLB could be going to 34 teams as well. You know, I think that honestly, seeing the way that the population is growing in the United States, it's not fair for the opportunity of everybody that is in this game just to be able to see the same 30 teams over and over again. So I'm thinking, you know, it shouldn't be the population of the country that regulates the competitiveness of how good these teams are or how, how many, how plentiful the opportunities are, I should say. And I mean, that's just... I'm thinking as far as a development standpoint, look at all of the different big league opportunities that would come together just by putting four more rosters out there. I think that would be very cool. And I think that's only appropriate, especially seeing, you know, just the way that the population is right now. I mean, if we're thinking, I realize it's thinking a very macro million scale all the way down to a 26 man roster, of course, but 
you know, I'm optimistic that, that that probably will come together. I'm very curious to see how they're going to do the divisional realignment if it does open to 34. I understand, you know, it would be very easy to do it like the NFL does. I mean, you've got all these divisions of four different teams, and then you take those winners and you put them into the postseason. So 32 is a very even number as far as, you know, 16 in each league. It calculates itself down easily, especially in a bracket format for the postseason. Yeah. Yes. So I think the only limiting factor would probably be where are those two others going to mix in? And at the same time, I know for years we had six teams in the NL Central and two te- and four teams in the AL West. You don't necessarily want to run into a situation like that. But I do feel like there's probably going to be some luxuries that people are going to be able to take to where, you know, we put together a masterpiece of 162 games. Maybe just get rid of divisions altogether at this point. You know, the NBA yes. essentially kind of does that with the postseason format and I think the opportunities, especially for all these devout Rockies fans that are sick of seeing the Dodgers win the division every single year, you know, if you're burying a really good division, point being, the division was so good that even the Padres couldn't get out of the NL West this year. And let's say it's a perennial. We see how much the Dodgers have plagued it, how much postseason opportunity they've taken away from the four other teams in the NL West. I would go as far as saying, go to 34 scrap the divisions entirely do it like the nba as far as you know if you're this best team you're this seed in the national league and you're going to be able to make it i think that's going to spread the wealth a little bit i understand the purists are going to be a little upset that there isn't division winners per se but at the same time i think a lot of those pure people are going to recognize that you know the opportunity to get into the postseason is better than whatever superficial banner that you're going to try to get in preparation for the big banner at the end so i say that with a lot of Rockies bias because man the Dodgers have just been taking the wind out of our sails for so long especially but I think more importantly is just kind of targeting you know what cities is it going to be you know you mentioned Las Vegas Montreal Vancouver I'm 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 fairly thinking it's interesting because I think the discourse Las Vegas is the very interesting one for me and especially me growing up in Denver I was always upset because Chase Field and Kauffman Stadium were the closest to And then I had my dad's side of the family is from Michigan. And, you know, you got Detroit, you got Cleveland, Cincinnati, both Chicago's, Milwaukee. And I'm going, you guys are in this radius. And my closest option is Kansas City, like seven and a half, eight hours away. So I've thought, you know, Las Vegas, as far as kind of regulating, maybe there's going to be better West opportunities. You're going to be able to grow the game in perhaps underserved areas. I think that would probably be pretty good, especially how quickly it's growing. And then I can't help but wonder, it gets extremely hot in Las Vegas. You're going to need the retractable roof, but I don't necessarily know. It's interesting to me to see how different communities support different, different teams. And I'll use, I don't mean to bash the Miami Marlins for this necessarily, but you put up this glowing stadium. Some may say it's a little less than glowing, I suppose now, but at the same time, you recognize how much they really struggle for attendance. And I can't help but wonder You know, not everybody's going to be able to come into a place like Coors Field where, you know, the expansion comes together in the 90s and they have to put the rock pile out there because of how great the attendance was at Mile High. And I'm wondering, I don't know if a team in Las... I hope I'm wrong with this. I really do because for I I happen to really love just staring at the Bellagio Fountains and I can only imagine going down to a ball game from there. But anyways, I don't know if the team in Las Vegas would get the kind of draw And I, again, hope that I'm wrong. It would be very cool to be able to see this. But I'm very curious, probably more importantly, we know that it's going to grow. But what are these cities? And ultimately, what is it that makes it a very good city? I think there's going to have to be a lot of research on this. 
I don't know if you can necessarily just put it into a box saying we know it's going to work because that's kind of what the Marlins thought they were going to be able to do and it maybe didn't work as much as they wanted it to. But I think more importantly is what cities is it going to excel in? I think, again, it's only a matter of time to go to 34. I think tap into Mexico City at some degree. At what point do we start opening this up? I think that would be a prime opportunity. And as far as if we're looking at rule changes or baseball changes, and again, making this game more inclusive for what it is, I think that would be huge at breaking down barriers. I think that would be huge at just showing the respectability of what this game is. And, you know, if we base this game on the foundation of accepting people and making it a whole lot, I think, you know, cross another international border, grow the game. I think that would be an awesome environment. And those, those leagues down there are a lot of fun. And I think that could bring a lot of excitement into Major League Baseball. And I'm hopeful. I, Patrick, I just threw a lot on you right there, man. I feel like I needed to let you talk a little bit, but that's where I'm at on it. I think there's a lot of good that could come together. No, you schooled me on that, Mexico City. I, I neglected to, to put them in the mix. You're right. There's a good good chance of that. I don't know if you'd want to go to Tijuana. It's it, mainly only because it's it's too close to San Diego. I, I know it has a reputation, uh, but having gone there once recently myself, it's it's a lot nicer than people would, would imagine because it's, it's a border town. Great um, rivalry. Could you imagine Tijuana and San Diego too? That would be yes. awesome right there. <laughs> that would be, yeah, that would be fantastic. I mean, California doesn't need another powerhouse baseball team uh, <laughs> at this point, but nevertheless, yeah, there's, it's 25 years. A lot is going to happen by that point. One of the things that I think is also going to happen uh, within the next 25 years that we're predicting here is all of the Hall of Fame ballots, let's get into our little Hall of Fame section. All of the Hall of Fame ballots will be made public, right? Right now, it's the case with the end of year awards. You know who Nick Roke and Thomas Harding voted for, Jack Etkin, Patrick Saunders, Manny Randawa, Kevin Henry. You know Pat Graham. You know who all those guys voted on when it came to NL Rookie of the Year, Manager, Cy Young Award MVP. So I think it stands to reason that at some point, all of those ballots will be made public. So many people already make them public. And we're at a point now where people who hand in blank ballots are not afraid to go ahead and say, yeah, no, this is who I voted for. Can't really explain why or my reason you know, isn't terribly great. If you can explain yourself, you go, ah, I don't agree with you, but at least at least you, you came out of your hole to, to see your shadow. Sure, at least you were upstanding enough to be accurate with it. I got you. So I know that's something that can be frustrating. It doesn't have to be made public before the announcement, but eventually, you know, after or two weeks after, everyone has to see it so that you are held accountable and that, you know, you are responsible for your vote. It's not, it's not earth-changing and earth-shattering, but I think that's something that's going to be on its way in 25 years' time, if not obviously a lot sooner. Sure. And I think honestly, too, you know, I've, I've always kind of I haven't been a big fan of Hall of Fame discourse because I never really liked how it's just a final chance to just degrade a player like he was great. But was he Hall of Fame good? Well, he was exceptional. It's great to even be on the ballot at some point. It's almost so, public arbitration, right? We hear yeah. the horror stories about going into that room. And well, here's why my player that I love and I'm not going to trade him. He's he's on the <laughs> no trade list. He, let me tell you why he's not as great as he says he is. It's just that, that's what Hall of Fame discourse yeah. is. Like. You're right. And it, it just, it kills me too. And I mean, I, I understand, you know, that's part of the gig and me being a writer, I, I need to answer to it. And I mean, just, I understand, I'm not here to talk about my own personality because I won't bore you guys with it. But, you know, that's something that I never really enjoyed. And I thought to myself, 
you know, I'm almost sympathetic to people that get the ballot and it shouldn't be that way. It should be a celebrated moment that you've established yourself enough with the baseball writers of America. You're a revered person that, you know, it should be an honor. And then it's almost like, well, yeah, he should have voted for this. All right. Well, and then you get berated if you make a bad pick. So it's, it's like an added responsibility that it, it should be a lot more upstanding. It should be a lot more joyous. And I would go as far as saying either make them all anonymous or make none of them anonymous. You know, if you want to protect the integrity, I would making them all anonymous would be a horrible idea now that I think about it. I don't know if that's a great suggestion, but at the same time, you know, something that kills me is seeing writers being prideful of like they're putting themselves out there, like trying to say this is who I picked for with like an iron fist. And it's like a publicity stunt almost that they're twisting it in. And I don't think that's that's not an upstanding way. I mean, this isn't your ballot. This is the players that you're voting for kind of thing. This is their ballot. This is their opportunity. So that's I understand, you know, again, you've earned the right to do it. And I mean, anybody that hears me saying this, they're going to say, well, Justin Wick clearly hasn't earned his Hall of Fame ballot. This is correct, too. But. At the same time, you know, what do you what do you do it for? And it's something that really kind of gets under my skin when you recognize that people are almost abusing the power of wearing it like a badge of honor, which, again, it is a badge of honor. But you should be the trust. You're, you're credited as the trustworthy individual and not someone that's going to do it for clout type of thing. So I feel like, you know, honestly, making it public again big tip of the cap to the Twitter crews that are able to put it together with the Hall of Fame ballot trackers. I understand that we're almost almost to that extent at this point already, but I feel like we shouldn't be having to live in a world where people feel the need to be anonymous with it. And that's what kind of gets under my skin as far as, you know, you're going to be able to see these people. They're going to be able to release who they're going to vote for in real time. We're seeing it on Twitter right now. But it's just it's so crazy to me to recognize that some people can kind of still find a way to hide behind it or try to use it just to be able to puff their chest out and say, look at how big of a deal I am type of thing. So I don't know if this is necessarily like a governing change that you could do as much as you need just like a social change as far as you shouldn't be doing it for the own personal attention. You should be doing it for the utmost regard of you are one of the few privileged that actually gets to do this. So. You know, I'm glad you saved this toward the end because I don't know what a good change is. I don't know how you can make this a rule change as opposed to just making it a cultural change that everybody acts a little bit more upstanding type of thing. But I do feel like, again, you know, I want to have faith in this being a very good practice, a very upstanding thing. And I am optimistic that people are doing it for the good reasons. I know I realize that people aren't necessarily abusing their ballots. They're still voting for who they believe are the upstanding people and the deserving people. But I'm hopeful that, you know, if we're able to, again, take the bias out of it. We've said this with the automatic balls and strikes. We've said this with a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today. It should just be getting down to playing baseball. And I understand, you know, there's a lot of like social degrees of, you know, you should be an upstanding moral person. I believe that you you should be a good person if you're a Hall of Famer. I get that as well. But at the same time, you should be a good person if you're a writer that's voting for these guys, too. And I want to make sure that that gets governed just as much as it does the people that get in. And I think that, again, you know, not that I'm saying this to call out any writers, and I certainly don't mean to create a rift like this, but I think that, you know, preserving the integrity of who does get a ballot is a big deal. And I feel like that should be an utmost regard. And I'm hopeful that, I mean, that is a sacred thing to be able to get that in the mail. And I hope that's preserved. And that leads perfectly into the conversation of who should have the right to vote, because in the year 2046, Radio and TV announcers 
both English and Spanish announcers will, after 10 years, like the writers in the Baseball Writers Association of America, they will also get a vote. It's talked about it on this podcast before. I know Drew Goodman brought it up. It's, it's been going on for a while. Vin Scully, one of the all-time greatest broadcasters who's seen everyone play, never got, got to have a decisive vote, never got a say in any official capacity. And there's guys that do that, again, whether you like them or not, that have seen a lot of baseball and know a lot of baseball, and they don't have that same opportunity. And so that's something that in 25 years' time, we should have changed in our game of baseball. You know, I like that a lot. And that's funny. When you first brought up Vince Scully, part of me was like, I could never picture him having a Hall of Fame ballot. And then I was going, well, why? Like, how right. cool would that be? Like, the voice yeah. that you, I mean, get Don Orsillo into the mix, get Joe Buck into the mix, get Drew Goodman into the mix. I mean, these guys that have developed and accrued this kind of time. Like, how cool would it be John Miller, you know, the voice of Sunday Night Baseball of my <laughs> childhood. You got him coming out. Here is my ballot. This is what I'm doing. And, you know, again, I think as a writer, especially this, I mean, as a broadcaster, it's more of your personality and your interpretation of, you know, I went to bed listening to Jack Corrigan when I was growing up on my little alarm clock radio. And, you know, that guy, he's got, he's earned the respectable opinion and he can't necessarily hide like a writer can. You know, if you're a writer and you're hiding behind your, not that people abuse this either, but it's easier to hide behind a keyboard. You can't necessarily hide behind a microphone. That's a big reason why I think this would be a huge proponent as far as, you know, again, trying to preserve the sanctity of the ballot, the sacred nature of what a Hall of Fame ballot is. I think that would be a great suggestion. And I think that would make for an even more exciting time for people revealing their ballots because, you know, no disrespect to the writers that actually have one, but you don't really know a lot of their voices. And as a matter of fact, a lot of the names that are getting released on the ballot tracker, I'm not trying to sound ignorant with this, but I don't know who a lot of them are just because, you know, the writers report on the players, whereas the broadcasters, you at least recognize their voice. And there's a degree of there's a lot more seemingly transparency. I understand there isn't any transparency if your name's on it, but if your voice is behind it, especially like your physical like broadcaster voice, I think that makes it a lot more upstanding in a sense. So. I think that, you know, at what point do you start spreading it too thin if you start raising out the different opportunities? But I think that a good first step is definitely getting those people into the mix. And, you know, I think another great opportunity is open it up for more people that are willing and able to at least deservingly vote for this. And I think that's a great way to keep growing this game. The argument against it would obviously be, oh, well, Jack Corgan, of course, is going to vote for Larry Walker and Todd Helton. All right. Maybe that's true. Again, we, we don't know. We can't speak for these people. But again, there are not that many announcers. It's not, again, if, if every team, if all 30 teams have maybe two or three more votes, and, and yeah, they're, they're team employees more than they are independent journalists, we get that. But at the end of the day, it's not going to tip the scales all that much in favor of a guy. Maybe, you know, obviously if you're on the East Coast or if you're from New York, there's going to be a lot more representation there. But Again, we can work those details out. The last thing I've got for the Hall of Fame that could ruffle some feathers, but I think it might be a good way to tick off enough boxes, to check off enough boxes and allow people to feel like, okay, this is a fair balance. And it's not that the Hall of Fame should remove plaques because I'm very much in favor of communicating, talking with people sharing the oral history of the game and saying, 
you see that guy right there that's alongside Babe Ruth or might be alongside a guy like Cal Ripken Jr., just, again, great people, Jackie Robinson, Satchel Paige. There are also guys who were great on the field like them, but they were not good people, have that discourse. And that's represented in the museum itself, but in the proper hall, in the lowercase h, in a literal hall that you walk down with all of the plaques, that isn't exactly represented. So, you know, if you don't want to take those plaques down, which I understand the conversation why you may want to, but you could just put a special QR code or you could put a sign, you know, beside that player, manager, executive, or pioneer to try and explain their discretions. So Adrian Cap Anson, one of the first stars of the game, had a lot of influence and played a major role in creating the racial segregation in professional baseball. And and that's again, that's something that didn't didn't end until nineteen forty seven with Jackie Robinson. But he was a guy who said, No, we're not playing if so and so is on the other team. Right? He refused to take the field when opposing rosters included black players. Kennesaw Mountain Landis, the commissioner. Yes, the first I was just thinking him. Is another guy that delayed racial integration. And I don't think it's a real coincidence that Landis passed away in nineteen forty four. He also got in right away in the hall, but he passed away in ninety four and then you know, two years later, Jackie Robinson signs to play with the Dodgers in the minor leagues. Like those are two obviously big proponents that, you know, we're we're talking about steroids here. Like we're we're talking about trying to get an edge. We're talking about cheating and trying to be a better player. Something that a guy like Whitey Ford, a New York Yankee all-time legend, a great postseason pitcher, confessed to. Yeah, on my wedding ring, I would, I would cut the ball and. There'd be some gunk around the mound with, with various you know types of mud that he would use to get an advantage. Like we're talking about that. If we want to talk about just being good people, that's that. I think we can all agree on. All right, hey, you can take a plaque down, or you need to have a note, something like that. Ty Cobb once beat a fan with disabilities. Yes. In the stands. There's rumors of players who are in the KKK. There's also some domestic violence charges that went against people. Kirby Puckett. It was found out. Hey, great guy. Then. Kind of, you know, right before he passed away, right after, there was, you know, some some allegations that have been made and have been supported. Bobby Cox was once arrested for simple assault charges, which his wife later denied. So, nevertheless, like there is that that history of former, current, and so if 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 you want to have that be part of the the conversation and something that the hall needs to address, that could be something that we do see in the next twenty five years. Sure. And that's, a, I mean, I'm glad that you bring that up too. I guess a real, like real live example of what we have this year is taking a look at seeing how many people have taken Omar Vizquel off of the ballot this year. You recognize how big of a knock that it's necessarily been. And, you know, it can only make me wonder, especially if we were able to re-vote in people, I imagine that those particular players wouldn't get in again. So I think that, you know, I like your idea of have a note on the actual plaque. Maybe you're not going to take the plaque down, but, you know, raise awareness for it. And maybe, you know, that's some people might suggest that that's kind of a knockoff way of being in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, if that's what you did and if that's part of your history, it should be it should be noted that it isn't acceptable. And I think that, you know, by putting these people into the Hall of Fame, it's approving people's actions, which I don't think that a lot of people, you know, like you've mentioned, Anybody that hasn't acted upstanding doesn't necessarily deserve that recognition. And I think that at least by making a note, it turns it into, you know, we're not going to take the accolade away from you because it was once determined that you were worthy enough to make it in. 
but more importantly, we're going to at least educate people going, you know, just because you are in doesn't mean you are a flawless individual. And nobody is a flawless individual. I realize some a lot more or less than others, of course, but recognizing that, you know, maybe if we're able to put a note down on this, you know, we shouldn't necessarily erase history. We should always learn from history and make it better people in the modern era. And I'm thinking at least by having something at least mapped out, I understand that, you know, say what you will about whether or not the cap, the plaques or the awards or the hall of fame, the nod and just being in to begin with, you know, whether or not you can, or you should, or you shouldn't take it away from somebody. I think that it should at least be a little bit more transparent as far as, you know, Let's make sure that people are aware. Let's develop an awareness. Let's educate people. And, you know, people are allowed to think for themselves. We've readily seen this in the world that we live in. I mean, even just with modern contemporary issues that people are standing on both sides of. But, you know, recognizing, you know, years later, what were those topics a couple of years ago? Where is the divide? Where did it stand? And, you know, if there is something that is a glaring omission of maybe somebody didn't necessarily say this in their Hall of Fame speech, Put a note on there, educate people, make them recognize, you know, maybe he didn't stand for all of the good of what the game existed for. But, you know, especially preserving, I think if you're going to make the Hall of Fame, again, a sacred place and exactly what it's going to need to be, you should have a degree of transparency down on that. So, you know, I, I won't get into the discussion whether or not you should or you shouldn't take it down because that's, Patrick, we could go another hour if we were going to talk about that, of course, but you know, again, I like your idea of having a note down on there. And again, we're trying to create very upstanding stewards of the game. These are the most upstanding people in this game of baseball. And I think it's important to recognize that the Hall of Fame is as upstanding as it can possibly be. And I very like that idea of putting at least some categories together to make sure that it's as preserved and as sacred as it can possibly be. Justin, we could do this for another hour. And we may. We could, man. I mean, we <laughs> They do this again. This will wrap up our, our two hours, our two-parter here. But you, you got to reach out to us and let us know how we did so far. What are some other things that you think could happen in 25 years' time? And if the response is good enough, Justin, we'll have we'll, we'll, we'll – we've got a whole <laughs> other list it, of interesting <laughs> strategies for the game of play, some other outside-the-box kind of ideas that involve microchips inside <laughs> these balls. Uh, th this was one that I, I didn't mention. We'll, we'll talk about it later. But we, we talk about sapping the other team and, and, and pulling a player off the field, right, if you do something in extra innings. Well, what if, what if there was a corked bat and you give it to one player on the other team? Obviously, you're going <laughs> to give it to the nine hitter. But I, th there's some ideas that we've got. It's juicy, and, man. Well, I, I'm looking forward to getting that feedback. You can give that to Justin on Twitter at just wick. He's coming up with some great articles all the time on purple row. I'm at Patrick D lions on Twitter. You can email me Patrick at the DNVR.com. Justin, let people know what are some of the things you've been working on over there at purple row. You gotta, you gotta plug away for your time here. Oh man, I am flattered. Well, first and foremost, you know, I want to give a big tip to cap Patrick and for, I know you know this, but for all of our viewers that are turning in this whole idea for this podcast got started of, Patrick just sent me a text out of the blue. I think we were joking around. Just I mean, Patrick and I text each other all the time. And this discussion started turning into we are typing like essays back and forth to each other on text messages. And it launched going, we need to at least talk through this. And that's the inspiration behind it. So anyways, huge tip of the cap for Patrick. I mean, definitely making that happen. Um, one of my latest articles was for Purple Row. I was talking about, you know, is there a chance that we could make 
high altitude baseballs along this side. You were actually the inspiration behind this, as a matter of fact, because we were talking all these rule changes. So that was something that I was putting together. And then on top of that, you know, it's been pretty difficult as far as, you know, with the lockout coming up with a different, a whole bunch of different ideas. And I understand that, you know, everybody's kind of in the same boat, but, you know, I want to show a big tip of the cap to our whole crew at Purple Row. We've been doing a great job coming up with ideas and we got a great crew. And then on top of that, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, being able to run our ideas through the DNVR crew. It's an awesome little partnership that we have going on with you guys. And, you know, it's fun to see, especially that, but I mean, all the good people over at Rocks Pile and of course, everybody with the Denver Post. And I know I'm missing out on a lot of key different media representatives in Colorado, but it's very cool to see people bouncing off ideas with each other. And that's what really makes, you know, the greater Denver and Colorado sports scene what it is. So, you know, it's a huge, I mean, what am I doing as opposed to, you know, what we all are doing, we're fighting through this lockout. It's a big challenge, especially when, you know, say what you will, this can be a pretty dark time as far as what we're working with and not knowing what the certainty of this game is going to be into 2022. But, you know, one thing I am certain for is that we've got a lot of great people looking out for us and, you know, we're able to come on, we're able to talk baseball for hours on end with my guy Patrick and stuff like that right there. And you can't ask for much more than that. We're definitely lucky to have that ability. We, we, we definitely are. Appreciate all the kind words, Justin. Make sure you're checking out his work over at Purple Row. Always coming up with some amazing bangers. So please support him and, and everyone at the Purple Row crew, Rocks Pile, MLB.com. We're missing our, our articles from Thomas Harding and, and Manny Randall. They're doing some things out there as well. Give them some love on Twitter and, and interact with them. We appreciate it. Kevin Henry and Noah Yingling at Rocks Pile, like you said, we're a Denver community here. We're bringing it all together just to try to bring the best entertainment, the best Rockies coverage, and the most interesting stories. And I appreciate you being a part of this one, buddy, and, and, and making some news in, in a time in which baseball is not making any news for us, but we'll we'll try to make some. You know? Remember, it's only 50 cents now for your first month on the DNVR Dot com to get all the great Rockies coverage as well as the other four major sports teams here in Denver CSU Rams CU Buffs up there in Boulder check it out thank you again for listening in as always so for DNVR Sports he's Justin Wick I'm Patrick Lyons you know what they say momentum is only as good as tomorrow's podcast so we'll talk to you then ah mm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.